So we are in the book of Proverbs. This series that we're doing, we're calling it Proverbs, Wisdom, in dizzying times, because as we've seen, as we've talked about, we live in a rapidly changing culture, and it's dizzying for a lot of us. It's dizzying because views are changing, things that used to be considered truth are not considered truth anymore, and so we want to hold to what the Bible says is truth, and so we've been looking at what Proverbs says about wisdom and this way of wisdom, and what we've seen so far is that, that Proverbs starts off in these first nine chapters, talking about this way of wisdom and how it's rooted in a fear of the Lord, that that's the beginning of wisdom for us, is to understand our place in the universe, to understand that we are created by God, and we should respect fear and be in awe of that. And then we kind of looked at our heart, and we saw how wisdom is something that we should apply to our hearts. And we saw that the, the biblical idea for heart is really multifaceted, right? It's not just your emotions like we tend to talk about it, but it's your emotions and your thoughts and even your choices or your will. And so we saw that there was this, this multifaceted view of, of heart in the Bible. And we talked about anger, and we talked about lust, and last week we talked about our words and I have been very convicted by this series. I don't know if there's been a series that I've sat under in the last few years where I just, every week, I just feel convicted because I just look at God's way of wisdom for my heart in these different areas, and I realize that so often my heart goes the other way, the way of folly, which is what Proverbs talks about too. And so I want for us to, to continue to dive into this way of wisdom. And I think today, today's topic is called love for the poor in a world of plenty. And here's the thing. I think we can be easily convicted by our anger or by our lust or by the, the wrong words that we use. But sometimes when it comes to loving the poor, I don't know if we'll feel as convicted. And my hope for us today is not that we would feel condemned or guilty, but that we would feel appropriately convicted by this word, word about loving the poor. I think, though, sometimes our hearts in regards to poverty, are just not in the right place. Here's what I mean. Um, my daughter, uh, she, uh, so before I talk about my daughter, myself, so I'm kind of a fiddler. So I'll pick stuff up. If you hang out with me for any amount of time, you'll notice this about me. Uh, people in my RC don't like it. I'll just pick stuff up, start fiddling with it, throwing it around. I'll wrap it around my head, like do weird stuff. I don't know why I do it. It's probably something happened to me as a kid. I don't know. And... So I, I just fiddle a lot. And so at my home, how this plays out is often I pick up one of my daughter, who's around almost four now, one of her toys, and I'll be fiddling with it, playing with it, you know, using her magic wand or whatever. And um, just kidding, we're Christians. We don't have magic wands. And, um, <laughs> and um, they're just uh, sticks with stars. And so I'll be fiddling with it, and she'll see me, and she has two reactions usually. One of the reactions is she, she looks at me, she looks at me holding the toy, and then she goes, Dad, that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Play with my toy. That's okay, Dad. And I go, oh, is it okay? Is it okay? Like, and I get kind of mad. But then the second reaction she has is when she sees me playing with one of her toys is she walks right up to me, grabs the toy out of my hand, and says, Dad, that's mine. And then I take a deep breath, and I just toss her across the room. No, I... Uh, I don't do that. Uh, I could, but I don't. And, but what I do is also some bad parenting. What I say to her, I go, oh, daughter of mine, listen, 
I want you to look at all the toys in the room. And I make her look. She looks at all the toys. I don't look at all of them. Look at all of them. She looks. And I go, listen, all of those toys are mine. <laughs> and I am just letting you borrow them till I give them away one day. And she's like, no, Dad, that's not true at all. Grandma gave me that. And like, she just, she's just like freaking out, and she doesn't get it. And I think when it comes to poverty and our wealth, sometimes this is how we approach it, and this is why it will be hard for it to convict us sometimes, is we approach, me and my daughter both approached the things that we have in the wrong way right there, right? My daughter is like, this is mine. Don't even touch it, Dad. And I'm going, I'm going to give it all away, right? And, and we're both having a prideful response to our, our wealth and, and what we have. And so today, as we talk about loving the poor, if we come to this with any level of pride, we're going to have a problem because we're forgetting the way of wisdom. We're forgetting the appropriate fear of the Lord that we should have. Because, friends, listen, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to the things that we have, material or otherwise, God has given us all of that. Right? Your very life, God has made you and made me. We don't have to exist but God wanted us to exist, so we do exist. So we are completely poor without him. Furthermore, Jesus talks about how every good gift comes from the Father above. And so every good thing that you have, every talent you have, every physical thing you have, every good thing that you have comes from God. And so if we approach the, the Proverbs today in this way that says, this is my wealth, or I've worked hard to earn it, or I've done this, then we're not fearing the Lord appropriately. We're not understanding that God made me and you and everyone in here, and we have a place in, in, on this planet that he has made and he has seen to, to do. And so that I hope that we could remember that we're all spiritually poor. That we would all be materially poor if it wasn't for God. Here's the thing, guys. Sometimes I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to myself, and it feels like, and it, please don't hear this politically, but it feels like you guys have, have chose where you were born. As if you had some say in being born into a good family and into a good country. And so today, I want us to be convicted by the fact that we are all spiritually poor without God, okay? And so today, we're going to look at four things. I want to take an in-depth look at loving the poor and poverty, okay? So the first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to see where does poverty come from, right? Big, big idea, I'm going to tell you. And so where does poverty come from will be the first idea. The second way we'll, thing we'll look at is we're going to see how do the Proverbs talk about poverty? How do the Proverbs talk about loving the poor? And we'll look at that. Then the third thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at the three areas of our heart. And we're going to say, how can these three areas of our heart love the poor better? And then finally, I'm going to give you three practical things that you could do today to begin to love the poor better. Okay? So that's what we're going to get into, those four things. So let's start with where does poverty come from? So I'm going to make it real simple for you. Poverty comes from sin. So if you don't know what poverty is, poverty is the idea that you don't have all that you need, that you don't have enough food, that you don't have shelter, that you don't have the resources that you need. So I'm not talking about luxuries, but I am talking about having the actual resources that you need. 
And so poverty is a result of the fall. For those newer in Christianity, the fall was when sin entered the humankind, really. When Adam and Eve sinned, the whole earth fell. And now every human after them is sinful and born broken. And, that, and that's where poverty comes from. Because if you look at the Garden of Eden, there was not going to be any poverty in the Garden of Eden. Even if Adam and Eve started having tons of kids before they sinned, they would have had enough in the Garden. And one day, in the Kingdom of Heaven, when God restores all things, there's not going to be poverty. We're all going to have all that we need. And so we have to realize that poverty comes from sin. Poverty is due it happens because of sinful people. And if we don't get that moving forward, I don't know if we'll really truly understand the way of wisdom that God has for us in regards to loving the poor. Here's, here's some further evidence of, of how poverty comes from sin. In Deuteronomy 15, if you've never read Deuteronomy, it's a great book. You should read it. It could sound repetitive, but it's Moses' last speech to the people of Israel. It's his last speech, and then he dies, okay? And he gives this speech, and he recounts all the things that, that they had been taught by God and all the things that God had done for them, and he's, he's recounting it. And all while recounting it, he's setting up this picture of, of what God's people could look like if they followed him. But Moses knows the people, and he knows that they're not going to follow God correctly, and so he also speaks to this dynamic of, here's what it could look like, but you're not going to do that. Your hearts are too hard. Your hearts are too sinful. You need new hearts from a prophet greater than me one day. And so in Deuteronomy 15, it's really interesting what God says to the people in verse 4 and 5. It says this, But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I commanded you today. So Moses, in his final speech, he's saying, listen, if you follow this stuff, if you do this stuff, there will be no poor among you. You'll have all you need if you listen to God. Then this is what's really interesting, why I want to bring uh, notice to this chapter is five verses later, six verses later in verse 11, Moses says this, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Now, someone might read through this and go, that's a contradiction. But no, what Moses is speaking to is that sin is going to cause there to be poor in the land. That people not obeying the voice of the Lord is what's going to cause poverty. And so we have to realize that we can love the poor in a world of plenty if we listen and obey God's voice. And I know some of you right now, you hear that last part of the title where it says, uh, Loving the poor in the world of plenty, that part. And you go, we don't live in a world of plenty, Anthony. There's too many people. I've been watching a lot of Bill Nye, the science guy, and he's been saying this. I've seen these YouTube videos. And he's like, we got to depopulate the earth, or we got to do population control and all this stuff. And all you millennials are like, Bill Nye, he's, he's speaking the truth. And so 
I, I began, I like science, so I'm like, I want to see, is that true? With the current population of the earth or where it's predicted to go, do we truly live in a world of plenty? And here's what I found, is there's this MIT professor, Vaclav Smil, so you know if their name is like that, they're probably smart. Um, and <laughs> it's just fun to say, Vaclav Smil. Um, he would hate me as a friend. Uh, he... So he's an MIT professor, and he, he knows that it's projected that we're going to get hit like 10, 11 billion people in the next few decades or whatever. And so he said, can we actually feed the earth if there's 10 or 11 people? Is, or 10 or 11, 10 or 11, yeah. 10 or 11 billion people. And, and so he did all this research, and he really looked into it, and he wrote this book called Feeding the World. And the conclusion he came to is, yes, we are going to be able to feed the, the population of the earth if there's 10 or 11 billion people. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't go, oh, it will be super easy. He says, no, we're going to have to farm right. We're going to have to like, essentially steward these things correctly. And so he makes that claim in his book after a ton of research. The United Nations Development Program, they claim that the current, as the current population of the earth stands, I'm pretty sure, they, that everybody on earth right now, all 7.5 billion people, we could eat, 2,500 calories a day, every single person, every day. So when I look at my soda can, it says 2,000 calories is the recommended, right? And so they're saying, you could go 500 over what your soda can says. And so, um, so there's enough food. So then maybe you're like, well, there's not enough space. This is a crazy thing that's true. You're not going to believe me. You're going to be messing, Googling on your phone if this is true or not. If we took the entire 7.5 billion people on this planet and we said, let's just try to fit them into one state. Let's pick Texas. You know, everything's bigger in Texas, like whatever, right? And even though Alaska's bigger. But let's try to just fit them into Texas. And you took all 7.5 billion people and you divided them or divided it by how many square feet there are. Every single person could have 1,000 square feet of their own. So think of that. That's bigger than a lot of the apartments a lot of you live in. That's like as big as the townhouse I live in. It's not quite as big as some of the homes, but there will be some of you in a family. So you could have two, 3,000 square feet together as a family, right? And so that's a real fact. So we could fit everybody in Texas. Now, I know there's like mountains and stuff or whatever. You'd not be able to do that probably. But I'm guessing throughout the rest of the earth, there's plenty of habitable space. So I say all that because I think sometimes, even though our pride could be something that affects us into not loving the poor well, I think sometimes when we hear different guys like Bill Nye, the science guy, say these things, we just accept it as truth and we go, yeah, well, these extreme measures need to be taken. And then we can see that God has actually said, no, there, there's, there's enough. But you guys are sinful. But you guys don't know how to steward well because you don't care about each other enough. That you're, you're selfish. And so we have to know that poverty comes from sin and brokenness. And, if we, and, I know, and that's not saying that there's other things that attribute to poverty, but those things are all due to sin. All right? And so we have to know that. And so now I want to take some time and look and see how Proverbs addresses poverty. Okay? Now, the way that Proverbs talks about certain things can be confusing. Because I think a lot of us read the Bible with Western minds, and we think we have to read this thing like just literally, like every single genre in the Bible has to be read literally, which is confusing when you get to the poetry of the Psalms, right? And so we have to know that we should read the Bible literarily, 
and know what type of genre it is and understand it then. So when it's historical, yes, that's literal. But then when we get to the Proverbs, it's wisdom literature. It's almost poetry. And so sometimes we read the Proverbs and we think they're promises. Like if you do this, then God will do this. But they're more saying, hey, if all of God's people live this way, if all the people on earth live this way, this is how it would go for you. They're almost more like probabilities. And so when the Proverbs come to something like the idea of poverty, what you're going to see is seemingly contradictory verses, but they're not contradictory. They're trying to give you the full scope of what is happening in regards to poverty. Okay, And so we're going to look at two of those verses right now and see how Proverbs actually gives us a lot of wisdom because it doesn't just say one thing causes poverty. It says a few things. So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 says this. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So, right, one of the first verses we get about what causes poverty outside of sin in Proverbs is a lazy hand, someone who's lazy, someone who's not working, okay? And so we have to realize that sometimes poverty does happen because there are people that are lazy. And again, the prophets are supposed to convict us, not make us be able to convict others all the time, unless you're a preacher like me. And so we have to just realize, though, that that is a factor. The laziness in our hearts will sometimes cause us not to work diligently and to not have enough. Okay, but that, the Proverbs don't leave it at that. Proverbs 13, 23 says this. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So we first get this idea of, of, of a lazier person not being able to provide for themselves. But then God also gives us this idea of this fallow ground that a poor person has. And if you don't know the word fallow, I don't either. I had to look it up. And it just basically means fertile ground. I'm like, why don't you just put fertile? And so they're saying that there are sometimes people that have land that could even be used to grow food and make food. But even if it's fertile, sometimes that food is swept away by injustice. So now we get two causes for poverty in Proverbs. One is kind of our own self not working hard enough. And then two is injustice causes it. Oppression causes it. People hurting other people causes poverty. Listen, friends, I want to be honest, and you know which side of the aisle you're on politically. Usually you like one of those verses more than the other. But God says both things are what's contributing to poverty. I'm not trying to get political, but if we find ourselves as Christians staying on one side of the aisle instead of looking for God's word, we're following the way of folly. Okay, And so we need to be people that see that God has a multifaceted view into how he addresses poverty in Proverbs. And it, it's complex and it's nuanced. But here's what we can know. That God is not fuzzy or it's not complex to understand that God loves the poor. I'll say this more. God even wants us as Christians to care for the poor. And he doesn't put a ton of stipulation on, well, only if they're working this hard or doing this. Those Proverbs don't have a lot of that in there. But he wants us to care for the poor and love the poor. So I want to read some Proverbs right now, just four in a row, where clearly God cares for the poor in them. It says this, Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. 
but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 22, 22 and 23 says this, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob life of life those who rob them. In Proverbs 19, 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. That's pretty intense. The way that God talks about us loving the poor is intense. He, 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 it's not flowery. It's, it's very intense. Think what he says. He says, man, you, if you despise your neighbor, you're a sinner, but you're blessed if you're generous to the poor. He says, anyone that oppresses a poor person, you insult God. I'm not about to get into a yo mama battle with God personally. He, he'll win because he doesn't have a mama. And sorry, sorry. And, but then he says, whoever's generous to a poor person, whoever's generous to a person, per, poor person, that, you, you honor God when you do that. You honor your maker. He says, don't rob from the poor, or I'm going to rob you of your life. He says, man, if you're generous to the poor, you're lending to me, and I will repay you. Now, again, these Proverbs aren't literal, true promises, right? We can't loan God anything. God has everything. We can't give him something and he pays us back in a sense. That's not true. But what God's trying to say is, man, when you care for the poor, I'm going to consider it as if it's a loan to me. I'm going to look at it like you're lending to me. Right? He's not really going to rob you of life if you rob the poor. We see too many evil people succeed. But what he's speaking to is the nature of sin and how it leads to death. And how you one day will have a spiritual death too. So these Proverbs that I just read through, at the very least, should show us how much God cares about the poor. And how much God wants us to love the poor. I'm further convicted by a few more Proverbs where I just really, I feel like I need to pay more attention to the poor. Proverbs 21.13 says this, Whoever closes his ear... To the cry of the poor, will himself call out and not be answered? Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, and this is almost written in a way as like a, a queen is addressing her son who's about to become king, and she says, this is how you be a good king. This is one of the things. She says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Let's sit in both of those verses for a minute. This is God's way of wisdom for us. This is God's way of wisdom for us. God says, man, if you close your ears to the poor, one day you're going to call out and no one's going to hear you. God says, if you want to be a good king, if you want to be a good ruler, in a sense, he says, you need to be a person that opens your mouth for the mute. You need to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You need to fight for their rights. Friends, this is convicting, not because I, not only am I just failing at this and not doing these things well, and I am closing my ears to the poor at times, but this is convicting to me because Jesus has done those things for me. 
right? God looked through time and space and he saw me crying out. He saw me in my junior high and early high school years just, just embittered by my own sin, enslaved by my own sin. And I don't, sometimes I was crying out to Jesus for help, but usually I was just crying out in anger and lashing out at people. And God saw that. Instead of closing his ear to that, he said, I'm going to send Jesus and I'm going to use the Holy Spirit to convince you that he's real. God heard my cry and he listened. Jesus also, he, he opens his mouth for the mute. He opens his mouth for the poor and the needy. He's opened his mouth for me. Because there's these two cool theological ideas. One's called imputation, one's called justification. And these ideas simply, imputation is that when God the Father looks at us, instead of seeing us as the sinful beings that we are, because of our faith in Jesus, he sees Jesus, his son, on us. He sees Jesus' righteousness on us. And so for when the enemy calls out for us to be killed for our sin, Jesus defends our rights and says, no, he's got my rights now. Not only that, is he justifies us before God. This is kind of like, like this legal term that may, means like we have every right to be before God. And Jesus tells the Father that. Jesus says, Father, I've saved them. They have a right to be with you for eternity. So friends, this is convicting for me. These Proverbs are convicting for me, not because, not only, but not because, oh man, I'm not living up in all these ways, but because Jesus did these things for me, and yet my life doesn't quite look that way. My life doesn't look like as if someone has done those things for me. I feel like I've closed my ears to the poor. I feel like I don't defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I think if that's true for me, it's got to be true for some of you as well. And so I want to take some time and really examine our hearts. I want to look at those three areas of our hearts in regards to loving the poor. I want to ask those three areas of our hearts, how can we love the poor better in this world of plenty? So we're going to look at the thoughts, we're going to look at the emotions, and we're going to look at our choices, those three areas of the heart. So let's stop, let's, let's look at the thoughts. First, do you, how do you think of the poor? How do you think of them? Do you think of them? I think that's maybe a better question for most of us in the room is, do you even think of the poor in our city? Do you even think of the poor in our nation? Do you even think of the poor in our world? I don't know if I do. And so I'm convicted that the thoughts of my heart need to concern themselves with the poor more often. The thoughts of myself need to look for ways to consciously love the poor. I need to look at things uh, and poverty and know that sin's the ultimate cause, but then look at some of the other things that we could do right now to eliminate that poverty. So do you think of the poor? How often do you do? Do you ever think of the poor? The next area of our heart are emotions. How do you feel about the poor? How do you feel about the poor? Is it fear? Is it disgust? Is it anger? Anger might sound weird, but I, I have conversations with myself and with others that... Just say, man, why doesn't this person just get up 
at work. And again, when that is motivated by anger, I think there's a problem there. So how do you feel about, about the poor? And I just wonder if we took our raw emotions and we set them before God and said, God, I'm feeling all kinds of things about the poor. Can you show me the right thing to feel? What if we said, God, help me to empathize with the poor? Because again, friends, remember, you should have an appropriate fear of the Lord in that we live in a broken world. And you and I are only one or two calamities away from being homeless ourselves. We've all seen it. We've all talked to homeless people. We all know people Maybe not all of us, but we know people that just one or two or three really bad things happened and they were just done. They were homeless. And so what if when we encountered poor people, instead of feeling these raw emotions, what if we took those emotions and said, God, help me to feel empathy. Empathy is essentially saying, how can I feel what they're feeling? Empathy is essentially saying, let me put myself in their shoes. So what if we did that with our emotions? In regards to the poor. Finally, what choices are you making in regards to the poor in the final area of our heart? What choices are you making in regards to the poor? So simply, what are you doing with your resources? What are you doing with the things God has given you? It could be time, it could be talent, and it could be just financial money that you have. What are you doing with your resources in regards to the poor? Proverbs 22.9 says this, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. It's just an interesting proverb to me because he's basically saying bountiful is just like a good eye, someone that can cause good things to happen type of a thing. And so this, God is like, those kind of people, they always share their bread with the poor. The person with the good eye for things, they always share their bread with the poor. We as Christians, because of what Jesus has done for us, we should all have bountiful eyes. And we do by the power of the Spirit. And so we should be a people that share our bread with the poor. And I just don't know, when I get more resources or more money, I don't know if the poor even enters my thoughts. I think what enters my thoughts is, how can I get more stuff for me? How can I do more stuff for me? How can I be better off? And that's not always the worst thing to think. But God says the way of wisdom is one who thinks of the poor, one who shares his bread with the poor. So I want us to really examine our hearts. How do we think about the poor? How do we feel about the poor? What choices do we make in regards to the poor? Are are all those areas of our hearts, are they moving towards loving the poor more? Or are they moving towards just loving ourselves more? And so I wanted to end with three applications. You know we love applications here. You guys always say that to us. We love giving you applications, ways you can apply this. And so there's three areas that I want you guys to apply this idea of loving the poor. Three practical things that you could do. Like if you left these doors today, you could go out and begin to love the poor in these three different ways. Okay? So three different places. The first place is this, foster care and adoption. We talked about it earlier in the announcements, but foster care and adoption in the state of Arizona is a huge way that you can love the poor. If you read the statistics, if you read the research, if you read the papers, so much of poverty is linked to foster care and adoption or foster, the foster care system. 
If I, were begin, if I were even to begin to read to you some of these stats as I began this week, I would probably just cry, be crying, and I'd just be like, we got to wrap it up. we got to wrap the service up because they're just crazy. We've got 17,000 kids that can't be parented by their parents because of their parents' sin that just have to live in all kinds of crazy places, and they're abandoned, and then they usually age out of the system at some point, and then they end up homeless, 50% of them. 17,000 kids. Kaylee hates when I say this, but I really think we could adopt all 17,000 as the church in Arizona. There's got to be like 34,000 Christian families in Arizona. That's only half the families have to adopt. This is something that really matters. So get involved with this process. So here's how you can get involved. Connect to Kaylee. Kaylee Jensen is our AZ-127, which is an organization that all the churches in Arizona got together and said, hey, we want to help alleviate this problem of this, how many kids are in this foster care system in Arizona. And so they want to train people. They want to get people ready to foster or to adopt. So get connected with Kaylee. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not in a place where I can adopt. Right now, honestly, my family, we're not in a place where we can adopt. But what we could do is just get connected to Kaylee and help her with all the administrative stuff. Help her uh, be a support to all the foster families that she is a support to. Help her with all the training she does. Like my dad used to say about himself, Kaylee's only got two hands, right? We need to help her out. The more hands that we can put with her and help her, the bigger impact we're going to make. And guys, I'll tell you this. Already the, the, the impact that we're making here in northern Arizona is incredible to me. Already the stories that I hear coming out of our church and what, how our church is serving us in this area are some of the stories that bless me the most personally. And they bless me because I see the hand of God moving. I see God's love moving through his people. So get involved with this. And then if you can't get connected to Kaylee right away, she'll be at the Connect Us after service, I believe. Make a backpack. We talked about that earlier in the announcements. Make one of these removal backpacks. Fill it up. Make it super legit. Find your favorite book, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factor, whatever it is, and put it in there and bring it so that these kids in these traumatic moments of their life, that they would have something that alleviates it a little bit. Okay, so foster care and adoption is the first area we could help. Second area, use your wealth to alleviate the oppression of the poor. Use the extra money that you have to alleviate the oppression of the poor. All over the world, people are being oppressed. People in our country are being oppressed, and that is what is causing them to be poor. Sometimes it's on a like a huge level where it's like groups of people oppressing other groups of people. Sometimes it's a small level of just a really horrible father to his family or a real horrible neighbor or a real horrible business owner. And so what we can do is we can step in and we can give our money to organizations that care for the poor. Here's two that I love. Feed the hungry. Their mission is to feed the hungry. (laughs) You give them money, 93 cents of every dollar goes to feed the hungry. Another one of my favorites is this organization called Preemptive Love. This brother in Christ of ours, he saw just the craziness happening in Syria and Iraq, and he said, you know what, I'm going to move to Iraq. 
dude, this is like the widest guy you've ever seen. And he moves to Iraq and he begins to love the people and his whole mission is to preemptively love people. And the big mission of their organization is to love those who violence has been done to. And then they also want to help people start businesses and create jobs. It's a beautiful organization. Donate to them. They need money. They're all the time. I'm in their email list, and they tell, man, we just need sleeping bags because this really crazy thing just happened, or we need this or that. Use your wealth, if you have extra, to alleviate the oppression of the poor. And if you want something more local, I know the Family Food Center right now is taking all kinds of donations for Thanksgiving meals. I just was at Safeway on Cedar, where they were taking everything, turkeys, everything. They said they have enough pies, though. So those first two areas, help in foster care and adoption, use your wealth to alleviate the oppression of the poor. And the third area, I want you to do this. I want you to think of a poor person who crosses your path and invite them into your life. Think of someone that maybe on the way to work every day you see, maybe on the way to your favorite restaurant, maybe they're a neighbor. Think of some, a poor person that crosses your path and invite them into your life. It's really easy for us to love and maybe just hand out money, and that's not always bad. But I th- what if we as Christians went the extra step, and when someone was asking for lunch, we said, hey, come to lunch with me. I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to get to know you. What if we did this, and this would be really crazy, and I'd be getting complaints all the time. What if we invited those oppressed by the poor to our redemption communities? What if they were part of our community? What if they began to see how God loves them through how we love them? How God wants to care for them through how we care for them? I'm not saying this is easy or I'm not saying uh, that there won't be difficulty in this, but what if we began as a church to love the poor in a way where we invited them into our lives just like Jesus has invited us into his life? So those are just a few ideas, three ideas to care for the poor. Loving the poor is it's all throughout the Bible because God identifies with the poor. Something we say here is gospel-centered, outward focus. So part of why we say that is because we want the gospel to be, like, to motivate everything we do. The good news that Jesus has saved us, we want that to motivate everything we do. And sometimes we just talk about the gospel and we just see its historical facts instead of seeing the depths of what it means to be a child of God. And that should motivate how we live our very lives. That's why we say all of life is all for Jesus because we think if the gospel is motivating everything you do, everything you can do can be all for Jesus. And the way that we care for the poor should be a sign of how we're centered by the gospel because Jesus cared for the poor, Jesus became poor to save us poor people. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So when we love the poor, they are getting a glimpse of what the gospel is like. So think about that. Think of what Jesus did. God who owns everything said, you know what? I'm going to be born to a virgin who's engaged to a carpenter. They're not going to even have enough money to get into an inn. 
right? We tell that story very romantically. And the thing is, they probably didn't have enough money. If you got enough money, you can find a room at an inn. I guarantee it. All right? They can't find a room at an inn. And some guy eventually, yeah, use our stable. Go ahead. I don't know. I used to have to clean up horse stables. It's disgusting. So this is where Jesus was born, this place we've romanticized once again. And he's born in a manger, which is where animals eat out of. I don't know. I just wonder if today it would be Jesus was born in a bucket. Like, I'm serious. So Jesus, God, who owns everything, said, you know what? I'm going to become so poor that I'm born in a bucket. I'm going to become so poor that we have nothing. And then as Jesus began to live his life and show us the kingdom of God and, and do ministry, and he showed us what true humanity is, he showed us what a sinless Savior looks like, he was saying things like, listen, foxes have dens, birds have nests. I don't have anything. I don't have a place to lay my head. And he was doing it to show us that he wanted to save us. He was doing it to show us the kingdom of God, doing it to show us how, how poor we really are and how much we need him. And then I think as Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus is stripped of everything. Like literally people are stripping his clothes off and playing dice for him. That's crazy to me. He's stripped of everything. And then as he's being put on the cross, or right before he's put on the cross, they do give him one thing. The God of the universe who deserves all the glory and all the honor and the most legit crown ever. They give him a crown of thorns. And they ram it in his head and they say, that's what you get. And they put him on the cross and his very life is robbed from him. So that we could be given life. So that our sin could be atoned for. Jesus looks extremely poor on the cross for our sake. And then, three days later, he comes back to life. Showing us the riches he wants to share with us. Showing us the resurrected life. Showing us that if we just put our faith in him, he can pull us out of the spiritual depths of our poverty. This is the gospel. And it's just one component of the gospel. So when we love the poor, we're showing the world the gospel. Church, let's love the poor, not because it's more rules. Let's love the poor because Jesus loved us poor people. Amen, church? Let's pray, family. God, we love you and we need you. God, this can be a heavy message. This can be hard to hear. There can be a lot of our own prideful backlash to it because I think we live in dizzy times, God. We live in times where everyone's convinced they know the answer. But God, we know that you know the answer, that you have a way of wisdom for us. So God, help us, help us to see where we are poor and powerless. Help us to see where you loved us and cared for us, even, even so. And help us to care for this city, this nation, and this world. And follow this way of wisdom where we love the poor. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.